And then when, when I make money in, in the metals and mining industry, about taking that money out and having diversification and yeah. really focusing on that, creating a larger revenue stream of passive dividend interest income as early as possible. And then that compound interest, dividend reinvestment program, sooner the better. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to us listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce to you Jonathan Odd. He's a president and CEO of Dakota Gold. It's a South Dakota-based responsible gold exploration development company. So, of course, off the bat, I'm going to talk to Jonathan about can you really mine in a responsible manner? And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the role that gold can play. I think this is not the first time we're discussing gold on the show. We've had previous episodes where we have discussed gold. What we're not talking about is that the taboo attached to the gold or any precious metal for that reason is that it requires mining. And mining is, quote-unquote, a dirty job. And it creates a lot of, it's not a carbon neutral way of doing it. At least that's a taboo. So we're going to a little bit deeper on that taboo itself. Look at where, how they have figured out, Jonathan and his team has figured out to do it in a little bit more responsible manner. And then let's just talk a little bit more about gold as a hedge, especially where we're heading towards uh, in the, in, across the U.S. economy, maybe global as well. Jonathan, with that, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks very much. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I know you're dialing into the beautiful Vancouver. I've never been to that place yet, but it's, it's on my bucket list. It's going to get checked off at some point soon. Yeah. It can be a special place. Yeah. How long have you been there? I've been here since I was five years old and, and I love it, you know, having the water in the mouth and it's very green, you know, it, it's, it's becoming a bigger city, you know, yeah. it's got almost 3 million people, you know, an hour and 10 minutes away is Whistler and, and you've got all kinds of hiking and local skiing and, and, you know, it, it's, it's a beautiful place. I'm going to hit you up when next time I get there, or whenever I get there, not next time, because I've never been there before. But Jonathan, again, thank you for being in the show, buddy. Really, I think what the way we want to always open our show is, when you hear the term migrate to wealth, what does that mean to you? Well, I think, you know, everyone goes through this, you know, a different life cycle and you go to school and and, and for some people, it's it's a really powerful way to, to, to you know, build and create wealth when you get educated because knowledge is power. You know, others can can go the entrepreneurial route and, and drop out of school because they're not learning, they're not getting to where they want to be from a monetary standpoint fast enough or they don't want to have a boss. So everyone has a different journey, a different path. But from my standpoint, it's it's you know, the definition of wealth when you're looking at the monetary side of it is for your passive income, dividend income, for that pool to grow over time where that pool of, of dividend income or interest income can pay for your cost of living. So it doesn't really cost you anything to live. And whether your monthly not is $10,000 a month or 50 or 100 or whatever it is, where you're not touching your principal and you can safely and comfortably live off your interest income. I love that, Jonathan. Thank you for thank you for saying that because I can't agree more on that. I was just having a conversation with a dear friend who I've known for 30 years and we were talking about the stock portfolio real estate and everything else. You're saying I'll never and I'll never take the money out of stock, but I want to create ten thousand dollars per month income so I can stop working. Only those two don't don't go. You're talking about balance sheet growth versus cash flow. And the investments you have today, yes, it may grow to a quite substantial amount because I have no idea how much you have in it there today, but it's not gonna free you up without creating the passive income stream. Yeah. And if the stocks are creating a passive income, great. But if it's not, that's the question. Really what you want to ask question is, to your point is, can my passive income, can my dividend income, can stuff that you don't have to be actively working with, yeah. how can I increase that? And then once I'm able to increase that, then I ask the question, what do I really want to do with my life? Because unfortunately, most of us are working at either job or your, your businesses or whatever, and we may hate it, but we have to work at it because that's the only way we know how to make money. But once but you hit that, that go ahead. But those that hate it, it, it's it's so clear. And they don't want to do, they just want to yes. do what's after them. They never want to go outside right. of their comfort zone and learn and grow or never do never, never want to do more of what's asked of them. And you can see they don't want to be there. They just want the paycheck. You ask them to do anything else, they don't want to do it's it. It's pretty clear. You're right. And and but but you you can see those people 
that light up when they come to work that are just yeah. pungent and and that's you know when, when you're building a team and you have that culture of that full buy-in that's usually where you get these outlandish returns completely 100 agree so jonathan how are you doing with your migration to wealth buddy on that definition good you know i'm i'm well on my way i've got a diversified you know real estate portfolio i've got investments into you know apartment complexes where you have to put the money in with more of a 10 year time frame where you know a lot of the stuff you know when you're when you're in the construction phase and you're building um, so that that's the hard part when you're when you've got a family and and you work in a very cyclical business where when money's flowing into the True. you know commodity or metal it's it's fantastic those windows can be short lived but again, it's it's you know I've got a a diversified portfolio now where where I never had that before. Where if if one or two commodities are doing well, you know real estate's not doing so well because of interest rates or whatever it is, you know net net I'm okay. Right. Uh, but it's a journey, and, and it's about you know taking money out of out of you know some sectors that are doing really really well and building a portfolio of of these dividend paying assets that are. Again, super conservative. You know, they may appreciate, fluctuate in the principal by, you know, three to five percent a year, but you might make five to eight percent on your money. Correct, correct, correct. And just understanding compound interest as early as you can is 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 really important. Love that, Jonathan. This is amazing, man. So let's let's talk about your journey into gold, and then I'll I'll give you a little bit of background on that with the conversation we just had. When we talk about creating passive wealth or through dividend income, gold doesn't strike me as one of that asset classes, right? So help me understand your your foray into gold. Why did you pick gold as an asset class, especially mining and exploration and development of, of, of developing, extracting gold? So give me a little bit of background on that. Yeah, so, it's, so you're right. So, you know, gold doesn't pay you anything. It costs you to store it. It costs you to insure it, right? So it was a store of value. In many ways, it can act as a currency, and, and it's probably going to play a greater role with what you're seeing happening with de-dollarization. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the central bank holdings from the from the west to the east are, are are acquiring and accumulating gold. So, I mean, I was given my first gold coin when I was you know, 14. Mm-hmm. So, I really from there had a respect for it and an appreciation for it. And then my education is economics and finance, so so it was really a central a theme to a lot of the economics classes I took and finance classes. And then when I read a book that kind of changed the way I looked at the world and investing, you know, when I got my first job as a broker out of out of university, it was at a brokerage firm in Vancouver that specialized in in financing small cap metals and mining and some oil and gas. So it was ingrained within the DNA of the firm that that goal was a central part of of the everyday life and backbone of this firm. And I think that, you know, what gold has done over the last year and a half with rates rising, strong dollar, and for gold to still be flirting with $2,000, I think is remarkable. And I think at some point, this higher for longer thesis with rates being higher, at some point, the Fed's going to pivot, whether that's six months from now, a year from now. When that pivot happens, I think I think gold is going to become more mainstream. And again, this this whole brick currency, I don't know if it happens because how long it took for the euro to come into play, you know, culturally, different mindset ideologies, but gold will play a greater role in the global financial system going forward because it's not like Bitcoin. And again, I'm, I have exposure to crypto, but you know, gold has been, you know, basically a currency for thousands of years. Yeah. And I think if you need to play a more important role, it's harder to mine. Inflation is, is rampant with all the miners. So, you know, I, and again, you're seeing more and more company or countries want to have more of their their central bank reserves in gold in gold yeah so jonathan before we go further i know you mentioned about a book what book was that that changed i have a feeling i know the book what is that book that changed your perspective about investment and everything uh, well the first book was called remnants of a stock operator i oh, love that book love that book. and more recently my more of my like business bible is principles by ray dalio i mean i think i read it eight times both of them He's just, uh, I mean, you can apply so many of those principles to not just your work life, but your personal life, you know, relationships. And it's a really powerful book. When I read it, I, you know, when, when I first I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. And, yes, you know, I've given one, my last company that I founded called Gold Standard was bought out by a bigger company. And, and I gave, I gave every employee and every board member that book. 
And I think Amazing. so spot on in, in, in so many aspects. And you look at the wealth that, 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 you know, he's created and just the way he approaches life. And, and I, and I really try to kind of model myself after, after, after him. Really. Well, that's actually great because I, I know, I know both the books. I've read both of them. So the books are definitely, especially the reminiscence of stock operator, I would say. Not everyone may appreciate principles yet, depending on where you're in your life, but you'll get a very good understanding of, understanding of stock market, Wall Street, or any kind of investing. Of how and to think about it. And the psychology. psychology. You know, and I learned about, you know, from the, I, I did a lot of the Tony Robbins work as well. And I read all of his books and walk on the hot coals. You know, fear is a more powerful motivator than greed. So yeah. understanding the psychology of what goes through the average investor's minds when you're learning, when you're growing, when you go through pullbacks in the market, do I, do I, do I buy more? Do I sell? You know, and, and some people just take the, you know, the long-term buy and hold approach. And we've had, you know, kind of 20 years of, you know, at some point things will, will pull back and, and they'll go flat for a while. And the Magnificent Seven and the NASDAQ have been, have been a great engine of return and growth for, for a big part of the market. But yeah, understanding, you know, what kind of an investor you are, your tolerance for risk and time horizon. And that's the challenge with a lot of these crypto investors is, is a lot of them, you know, their timing was perfect for putting money in. And if you didn't sell that and monetize that, and it, and it was just a, this, so many lessons learned, a lot of those investors borrowed against that, leveraged against that. That's like a house of cards. Yeah. And then when crypto went from, you know, 2000 to 68 or 69, the top, and then pulled back, a lot of people never sold because they kept drinking the Kool-Aid and think it was going to yeah. go up forever. And there was a, a very legitimate window to make a lot of money, to make outlandish returns. Correct. Correct. No, like one hundred percent. That's not normal. That's not normal. Yeah. It's I mean, when it goes up that fast, is down very, very fast. Yep. Now, it doesn't mean it won't go back up again, but the volatility you have to be able to absorb that volatility. I know some some of my friends who have taken the money out of their four hundred one k, moved into self directed IRA, and put everything into a Bitcoin. Maybe, maybe crypto in general. I would say a lot of that was exposure was in Bitcoin. They got the wallet account, right? All these accounts. Um, where everything is just, it, it, that, that equity is completely wiped out. So my son is a perfect example. So, so a couple of years ago, he said, dad, I really want to invest in crypto. And I said, why? And his first mm -hmm. response, everyone's doing it. And then he said, okay. But, and I said, okay, so, so how much money do you have saved up? And he said, well, I have almost 500 bucks. And I said, okay, get to 500 bucks. I'll match you. Cause a lot of these crypto retail accounts, the minimum's thousand dollars to put it. Yeah. So I matched them and I said, listen. You need to understand that and be very comfortable that you could lose your five hundred dollars. So right. if, if for me five hundred bucks, you know, it's it's fine. But if he can learn some of those life lessons as definitely as possible to respect definitely. and appreciate the market, you know, knowledge is power, wealth isn't built overnight. So the value of his account, I think, went up to almost nine thousand dollars, which which for a fourteen year old kid is a lot of amazing. Money. Yeah. And it was great because he did a he did a full round trip. And I said, you know, at about 7,500, I said, listen, why don't you take your principal out? And he goes, well, what does that mean? I said, well, you've got $1,000 in, take the $1,000 out. So if it goes yeah. to zero, with anything. He goes, no, dad, it's okay. Trust me, I got it. So <laughs> I, I think his account went down to you know, 600 bucks or something, and now it's you know 1,200 or whatever it is. Yeah. And, uh, so, but, but seeing him asking different questions and seeing his psychology change you know, were very powerful lessons to him, you know, for him to learn at this age. Definitely. And, Definitely. and that, you know, because th those investors that did really, really well during that window, they think they're smart. They, they have this kind of arrogance about them. Where, yeah. Yeah. You know, it is, it is. And that it actually happens in every aspect, every sector. It's not just about, there's not, a, it's not a ding on Bitcoin or crypto. No, not I think that the same true for anything, right? Yeah. People have been investing in real estate for the last decade and can only go up to the point where everyone's bridge loans and with no rate caps because interest rates will never rise. Of course, it'll never rise. It'll stay at well, 10% forever. I, I remember talking to my father about about a mortgage that he had when rates were, you know, 15 or 16%. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. Our, our mortgage system is different. So every, every, we, we have either like three or five year fix, whereas in the States, there's 30 years. Every, right. every, every year, right. almost 20% of mortgages are coming due. So I have friends that like, wow, build their dream home. And they have, you know, multi-million dollar mortgages. Right. So their cash flow is just, is shrinking. 
you know, it's gone from, you know, your, your, your $5,000 mortgage, whatever a month to 10,000 or $15,000 a month. And so that's why this higher for longer narrative, maybe it plays out, but it's going to hurt a lot of people. And in the States, again, you somewhat shielded because you've got these 30 year fixed. 30 year fixed. Yeah. Uh, I think the arms, the arms are getting popular again because the interest rates where they are. Because that was like usually, but I think arms, it's a ticking time bomb if you don't know how to manage it, yep. right? Five year, 10 year, three year, whatever arm it is. If you don't know, if you don't watch that money at that rate, because it can, I had, I remember my first arm, man, it was like 2002, 2003, introductory rate, right? Back then it was no income and there was nobody who did anything. I'm like, yeah, let me just give an arm. It'll be fine. Today it went up to like from two and a half percent to all the way up to three or four or six percent. It was a rental property. All my yield was wiped out. Yeah. And it was not yeah. big loans. I was able to pay it off and kind of at least manage the control. But for like you're talking about your friends who built their dreams, homes of millions and millions of dollars in assets yeah. that are locked in into the in, in liability, yeah. they're going to start hurting. If you can't sustain that cash flow, it's going to start hurting. And I didn't know, I actually didn't know that Canada does not have a 30-year fixed mortgage. I think I'm, we're so different here when you look at it. That it's, but we don't it, appreciate that 30-year mortgages. India doesn't have that either. I know. And, and we have, you know, higher, in Canada, you have to put down a minimum of 25% of the home that you're buying. Right. Where in the States, you can put down 5%. You can. You know, yeah. You know, financial crisis, you can put down Zero. 2%. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, we don't have as much as you know, as much, as much debt, but, you know, certainly right now we're going through a lot of pain and the longer it stays at, 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 at these levels, because we have a lot of mixed economic data as well. And, but we kind of, you know, almost like a jellyfish follow the, you know, what the U S does. Right. And, right, right. you know, so, so I think it, it, you know, it's super interesting and, and, you know, maybe transitioning into the metal side. I mean, I have, you know, a disproportionate amount of my family's net worth in metals, you know, from gold and silver, you know, copper, lithium, uranium, you know, again, really trying to, and nickel, mm -hmm. cobalt, you know, really trying to capture everything that goes into, you know, the, the, the battery metals, the EV, the decarbonizing, uh, right. and no one will take 10, 15, 20, 30 years to really make a dent and an impact. But it's tough because you've got certain countries that don't care about it. Sorry, that may be too harsh. No, I think and it's probably right. Understand the cost and the time associated with it. Yeah. And I've said, we, we can't afford that. And, and so we're going to pollute more and try to buy carbon credits, you know, so that, that's, that's really why I've, 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 you know, the last five years, you know, done a lot more investments into copper, everything that goes into that decarbonizing, getting to that carbon neutral, because I think it's, it's a very real trend, you know, a good chunk of the world has bought into that, you know, ESG is, is more prevalent in certain countries that are yeah. more continents than others. And then you're seeing a massive shift. You're seeing a lot of a lot of money flowing into these funds. And maybe some of the early money has been made. But you look out 10 years, 15, 20 years as to where some of these metals will be, they'll be dramatically higher than where they are today. Yeah. I think it's just the, the supply demand. Because yeah. nothing can work. Nothing can work without a lot, a lot of these. What is it? Are they called? What are precious metals that are used in? Isn't there a different name for metals that are used in semiconductor? Railroads? Yes. No, they're not railroads. So, so, so copper... Copper is is a base metal, and and you know copper is 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 central to this whole decarbonization of the world. And mm. just to give you just to give an example of, of how dire it is, the world's largest copper mine is called Escondida, yeah. biggest copper mine by you know two to one. It's it's in Chile. It's a massive mine, and the world needs to have a new Escondida every other year to yeah. meet the metal demand, mm. and the average time. From permitting to you know actually pouring metal, having a concentrator or a, or a dory, a bar is ten years. Wow. Yes. So that's a big problem. So that's where, you know, in the states, you know, I'll, I'll come back to this. Dakota Gold is on private ground, so we actually own the ground. Mm. And there's what's called BLM, Bureau of Land Manage Management, usually a state managed by the state, and then U.S. Forest Service is managed by the federal government. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a, from a timing perspective, from a, the number of hoops you have to jump through, being on private ground is the best because you don't have to deal with the federal government. Got it. BLM is sort of that maybe three years to five years to, to, to build something. If you have local support, getting that local support is so important. And then federal ground, 
It can be five to 10 years or never. Wow. Now, now the big button issue in the States is water. So if you're contiguous or close to a water source, it can typically be a lot more challenging and you're met with a lot more resistance than if you're in a an arid or dry region, which presents its own set of challenges, but at least you're not going to impact a water source. And why is water? Because you're, you're impacting the water tables? Is that the reason? Or, or you're dealt more yeah, historically there have been a number of mines that have that have just directly put pollutants into rivers, streams, and it's not just in the U.S. or Canada; it's everywhere in the world. But now there are different standards and there are different water quality. So you have, you now generally have a water treatment facility, so the water gets treated and then it gets to a certain standard, and then it can be released back into into the wild or be ready for drinking. So a lot of those standards weren't in place twenty years ago, fifty years ago. Hundred, yeah. So you know, and and I think that there are certain regions within the U.S. where water is scarcer. You look at you know, like Las Vegas and Phoenix mm-hmm. get a lot of the water from the Colorado River, and these underground water aquifers are being drained. You know, and that's why you know there's there's desalinization plants being built in the southwestern and eastern parts of the states yeah. to dredge and have a pipeline of of water of seawater. It mm-hmm. gets treated. And then that can be what's used to, you know, for watering golf courses, for drinking water, you know, for household use and consumption. You know, we live in the Pacific Northwest where it's a very, you know, it's rains eight months yeah. a year here, a lot of runoff from from the mountains. So, you know, but if but if global warming continues, you will see less snowfall. You'll see less runoff from 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 mountains, which a lot of, you know, agricultural farming relies on that runoff. You know, so it's so so it's all connected. And it's 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 super fascinating and interesting of, of how this is all shaping up. So Jonathan, let's let's talk about I think the elephant in the room then, right? Because you talk and, and if I'm misquoting you, let me, let me know. I think I heard you is that we're gonna bite the bullet of pollution and create pollution, we're gonna go deeper into the right now. And we're gonna buy offset it buying carbon credits. And I think I heard you saying that. And then also within X five we're talking about climate change global warming, right? So these two are these two I see it they're 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 conflicting, right? Our demand is that our demand is not to create to create to create resources in a way that is not promoting global warming. But then at the same time our needs are natural resources and to to get them to run our ERs, to run our solar panels, to run our anything that we want to do on an on a carbon neutral basis that runs on natural resources, which is going to create a ton of pollution anyways. So help me understand this this complete paradox where the need itself to 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 wean off of these resources is creating the need to generate more pollution to create these resources. Well it's probably one of the, if not the greatest challenges humanity has ever faced. Because you know, there's a lot of data supporting, you know, global warming and, and, and what's happened to the planet. And, you know, if we don't take care of it, it won't take care of us. Right. And, you know, everyone's bought into, we need to have more alternative energy. It doesn't rely on fossil fuels. Everyone's bought into that. Okay. You know, and then it's, and then, okay, electric vehicles. Great. Tesla's revolutionized that. All, all the big car makers are, are rolling out. Okay. So then how is that Tesla powered? Right. And still- Almost 35% of power in the U.S. is powered by coal, which is the dirtiest yet cheapest form of, of, of energy. And you look at you know other countries in Southeast Asia, a lot of them still power more than 35% of everything yeah. with coal. You know, and, and, and with what happened with Russia, Ukraine, a lot of European countries who had turned off their coal mines, turned them back on because they were concerned about, well, how do we, you know, winter's coming, how do we heat these homes and, and you know, power this 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 grid that's supposed to power these electric vehicles. Right. So, you know, it's really about education and it's and it's really about to have full stakeholder buy-in and that everyone can benefit from these natural resources if it's done properly. Where things change is governments moving the goalposts, changing their mind. You know, a lot of these companies that are that are building these mines are public companies. So you're reliant on capital markets and yeah. investment and again, there, if there was a global standard that everyone was held accountable to, there would be a different outcome. And I think yeah. the, the younger generation, people who are going through university and, and coming out of school, a lot of, a lot of them just 
don't own vehicles. They just do take Uber. Yeah. Because you look at the cost to insure an 18-year-old or 22-year-old now with no track record, yeah, high risk. I mean, it's expensive. And 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 so again, it's 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 not going to be an easy process. But people want people don't want inflation and want costs to go down. Well, I mean, I don't know how we 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 get there when you know all the metals, the number of 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 pounds and 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 kilograms of metal required for a Tesla, for a battery, for your cell phone, for your laptop, and on and on and on. I mean, every every. Every you know, iPhone has I think it's a quarter of an ounce of gold in it, yeah. and you know the copper and the nickel, and that the only place you get that is is from mining. I mean, almost everything above ground requires some form of mining came from the earth, and that's not going to change. And then you're seeing some countries shy away from it that they maybe have a large metal endowment because they don't want to disturb the environment, but yet they're creating this this undertone of strong metal prices. Or inflation and the supply chains are getting, you know, disrupted because you've got de-dollarization, you've got these allegiances and alliances, you're either, you know, sort of yeah. pro-US or you're against US. Yeah. And and certainly if certain political figures get elected, that's probably gonna be reinforced. Yeah. So, so that, that's an interesting one, right, Jonathan? Because I think I completely understand with you. I think we are work both the messages are very important. I think like leaving the world a better place from where we are in is very important. But at the same time, that right there is so important. Sorry to jump in. So in our messaging with, with Dakota Gold, we have talked about repurposing already disturbed ground for future development, for future mining, future processing. So we're not creating any new disturbance. So we're, we're going to repurpose already disturbed ground for future processing and development. And our goal, our intention is to leave that in a better place than when we got it. So how, how would you do that? So let's, let's actually go deeper into... Dakota, my gold mining itself, right? So when we say that we're repurposing already disturbed land, so is your thesis that there's more gold left in there? Yes, very much so. So this is one of the largest concentrations of gold anywhere in the planet. Mm -hmm. Not to the US or Canada, anywhere in the planet. And so when Homestake was 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 mining here for 125 years, 40 million ounces of gold came mm -hmm. out of the Homestake mine in Leeds, South Dakota. Homestake, the company, started to step out outside of the old mine in the late 80s and early 90s. And they were very successful in, in, in finding additional gold mineralization in, in the camp. Low metal prices under $300 an ounce, late 90s. I went, so, so when Bear acquired Homestake, it was for other gold mines, other gold assets in mm -hmm. Homestake's portfolio. So the mine went on care maintenance. And then we bought some of these assets from Barrick out of their closure group. Got it. And we got all the data. So yeah, there there's a lot more going on. And we think what we have found is a continuation of, of the mineralization from, from the old mine because we're contiguous with the old mine. And these are a lot of past producing mine sites where there is already disturbance within the land. So for example, when we drill a hole and we and we disturb a couple of acres of land, we've already disturbed, we've already reclaimed a lot of that land. So to last year, so we drilled, you know, almost 50,000 meters of core yeah. net net so what we disturbed and then what we reclaimed we only disturbed less than three acres when people say oh mining's bad hold on just just dial it back here so why is it okay for someone to put in a new golf course that's a, that's you know consumes more water per capita than, than, than anything yeah. else but yet we're potentially providing a metal gold and silver there's critical metals in the district as well that that the world actually needs and doing so we're almost net net our goal is to not disturb any new land and is to reclaim the land, repurpose it so it's in a better position than when we got it. That is our when primary we say re to Jonathan, When we say reclaim land, I want to make sure people understand what does that mean? Okay. So so when you when you're drilling building a pad to, you know, say drill a hole, you know, you're gonna have you build a road, you're gonna have to build enough room for your equipment mm -hmm. and your drill rig and you know, a sump, which is where some of the water gets stored before it gets re-released into the wild. Yeah. So when you stop using that pad, You'll typical typically plant, you know, either you know seedlings, you know, reforestation with some trees, make it look like so there's less of a scar, less impact on the environment, and you know we're doing that. So one of our areas, there are actually a few homes in the area, and so we're drilling in not in like someone's neighborhood or backyard, 
but where there are people that have second and third homes. And we've had one complaint in two years. And the complaint was misguided because we we had this 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 couple that thought we were fracking. And we said, <laughs> that's an oil and gas. Right. We're old and silver expiration. And they said, really? And we brought them out to the drill rig and took the time to educate them. And they were blown away. And now they're shareholders of Dakota Gold. Love so, all. Love that. You know, I, I think when you take the time to listen to the community and to be one with a community where everybody can win. And I think that's really the work that, you know, my partner, Jerry Averly, who's the chief operating officer of Dakota Gold, he was the last mine manager at Homestake when it shut down. Mm-hmm. So he's from South Dakota. He, he was born and raised here, uh, worked at, at, at Homestake. Managing and being responsible for the environment is something that, that's a core part of his DNA. And I believe, I strongly feel that that's part of the reason why we've had a license to operate is because we're so embedded locally and socially. And I think where, where mining gets a bad name is where a big international company comes somewhere, is not from there, doesn't care about the community, doesn't care about the environment. And I'll use a bad phrase, you know, kind of rape and pillage, take and then go. Yeah. And government's saying, no, 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 if you want to be here for 30 or 40 years and you want to, you know, have 30 or 40% or 50% of the local workforce is yours and commit to being here, we will do business, you know? So, so I think having, having that, that platform and that foundation and ties to the local community has served us really, really well. So Jonathan, thank you for, thank you for explaining that. Let's shift gears a little bit into how can people take advantage of investing in gold through mine? Is it, so maybe a different question. Then we'll go into that one too. Is it better to hold gold and own gold as a as bar, as a bullion, and kind of keep it somewhere safe? Is it better to invest in a mining operation? And and why? And I know you may have a biased answer because you own one. I want to give you, I want to give more of a objective answer if may, so that people can parse it out because no one investment is good for anyone. It's just that every investment has a role to play. So what sure. role does a mining yeah. So, so I think there are three primary ways to own gold. You know, you can own the physical. So, you know, coins, you know, bars. And again, there, there's a cost to store it, insure it with the more gold you own. But a lot of people, that is how they get their exposure to gold. Correct. Is, is through physical gold ownership. The second way to get exposure to gold is to own some of the ETF, the exchange traded funds, where they own a basket of gold companies. So the two big ones in in North America are the GDX and the GDXJ, the J standing for junior. Dakota Gold is a part of the GDXJ. So so you're taking a basket approach. So you could say that's a more risk-averse approach to getting exposure to gold. And then the third way is to own individual gold companies. So you could say, well, why would I want to do that? Well, some of the gold companies now pay a dividend yield in that four to five percent, which is which is pretty respectable. And depending on when you invest, you can have a significant appreciation in the share price of some of these metals. So those are the three primary ways to to get exposure to gold. And I think you're seeing the opportunity, I think, for the gold sector is that it's an underowned asset class. Yeah. You know, less than five percent of Americans have any exposure to gold. Yeah. So it's it's a very small asset class when you look at what it is globally. It now means more in some countries in Southeast Asia than it does maybe in North America or Europe. But I feel with where the world is going and this kind of de-dollarization, the role the the, the, the central bank and the Fed is playing, I, I think you know having some kind of exposure, that kind of 5 to 10%, people should have that kind of insurance, that store of value in their portfolio. And then how you choose to allocate risk by owning physical, the ETFs and individual companies, that's, everyone has a different appetite for risk, a different time horizon, you know, different stage of their life. But I, but I do feel there is a place for, for gold in everyone's portfolio. Yeah. So Jonathan, if, I know you just told the funding round, but if somebody were to invest in, invest in Dakota Gold, what would that look like? So let's say you, in future, you open it up again, that's an opportunity for Anyone listening to the show, if you want, if they want to be part of it, what does that look like? What does that process look like? Are they are they becoming a shareholder? Are they are they getting a dividend yield? Are they getting physical gold somewhere? What does that look like for somebody? Yeah. So 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 if 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 somebody was to say, you know what, I I, I like what Dakota is doing. I like where it is. I like the people. You know, they <clears> they're they're big shareholders. They've been buying stock. They're super aligned. Uh, they've had successes before. You know, you would you know, if you have a broker or if you have an online account. 
and our symbol is DC, mm-hmm. David Charlie DC <laughs> on the Nazi American. And you would you would you would buy shares through that way. At this time, we don't pay a dividend because we're not we're not producing. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is really roll up and consolidate the entire homestake district and have it under one roof. And that's really our goal. It's really our mandate. But again, I I, I think that the timing to look at gold again is starting to get really interesting with gold being at this strong level with, with what's happened to rates. You know, I I think it's actually been remarkably strong. And I think at some point there will be a, a pivot with the Fed where rates start to come off. Yeah. And that inflection point could be really powerful and very special for for gold investors. Yeah, I always say that it's kind of like it's not intuitive sometimes when the interest rates are going to go down, the gold is going to go up. Very high, very high chance. There's no, there's no, there's no confirmation. Yeah. Don't take that as an investment advice. It's it's suck. It's point of view. So I don't want someone to go buy gold today and then if it does nothing else, come back yelling at. Me. So it's my perspective, and it's based in education, right? Based in judgment call that. If the interest rate's going down, that means dollars lose value. Unfortunately, dollar lose value. A lot of investors are going to put towards assets like gold. I think yeah. if there was no Bitcoin, this is again my thesis. If there was no Bitcoin, we would already see a lot of rise in the gold. I think right now, the investment dollars are getting split between Bitcoin and gold. So it's a little bit of split. But otherwise, yeah. we would have already seen gold going up a lot more right now. It's already flirting at 2050, 2040. I think it's that it touched 2040 recently. I, I I don't track it daily, so I don't know what the numbers are. You probably know that better than me. Yeah, it's 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 you know 2026, 2030 right now, and and you know, but still, last there's been some significant outflows from the ETFs in the last six months to a year. Mm. You're starting to see the pace of outflows slow down, and then you'll see it flatten out, and then you'll see money come in as the Fed starts to pivot, and that's right. where I think you know you've heard the term you know be a contrarian. You know, I, I think that, but but also, you know, fund flows. I follow fund flows and, and, and anything I look at. And there's a number of different ways to track that. And when you start to see money flow into these ETFs and these funds, stocks will usually follow and be the beneficiary of those new inflows. Could we talk a little bit about, uh, sorry to cut you off if we're going somewhere. Let, let me finish, have you finish your thought first. No, I, go, go ahead. Okay. You said something very interesting, fund flow. And I'm actually going to say people always say follow the money. Right. So, yep. and then you said there are multiple ways to do that. I know it's not necessarily specific in gold. Could because we touched upon that. Could you tell us a little bit about fund flow and how how people can actually track it of what's happening in the market? Yeah. So, so there's a number of websites. So, I mean, let's just you know talk about the gold industry. And there's and there's you know dozens of different industries that have all of the ETFs, which is which is you know usually passive money, mm-hmm. and there's ways to track the assets under management. So AUM in these ETFs. And, you know, there's there's different websites that I go to for for gold and silver and copper and some of the metals that I invest in from the individual company standpoint or for the, you know, for gold I own I own lots of physical. I don't own lots of silver physical just because it's it, you know, I would need a warehouse kind of thing. Yeah, it's so, not it's not that it's not that dense, right? It's yeah. So we do a lot more silver. Yeah. Just, so quarterly I, you know, I track a number of the bigger ETFs that are relevant to 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 my space to, to my industry, and you know Fidelity's got it got you know great tools for that. So so does BlackRock, and of course I get a lot of the research from the from the brokerage firms. But for the average retail investor, you know there are a number of online platforms. You know Morningstar is a great one. You know just CNBC, Yahoo Finance. There's there's a number of, of great free online platforms where you can where you can track this data. You know, quarter to quarter, I'm also a chart guy, so I like looking at charts because it's you know you can kind of see what's happening with the trends. And there's a lot of noise that can happen in there depending on what time frame you utilize. But but from my perspective, it's it's really important to to watch those fund flows. So the fact that gold is staying north of 2,000, you've had r- real rates go from almost zero to five five and a half. Yeah. And you know the U.S. dollar has been strong, and gold is still over 2,000. That to me is incredibly bullish, and I don't want to sound too promotional, but it, it kind of reminds me of a coiled spring where it's been this, you, know, you had this triple top of gold at that 2050, we're kind of right at this level here, and technically, I think you're going to have that that next leg up where it's not going to be that 21, 2200, because that's mm-hmm. only 5% higher than where it is today. You'll have a materially higher gold price, and again, you're, you're, you're getting to a point in the US where you know the cost of service, the $34 trillion in debt 
is $800 million a year. Right. Very soon to a trillion, you're running two, two and a half trillion dollars a year in annual deficits. And you've got a fixed cost of almost a trillion dollars a year in, 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 in your defense spending. At some point, not tomorrow, not next year, probably 10, 15, 20, 30 years out, at some point, that's not sustainable. At some point. Yeah. So I, I don't know how long that is. And this is why you're seeing a lot of this de-dollarization because the U.S. gave a playbook for you know these sanctions with you know Russia and other countries that go against their you know, political or regional or defense interests, and they put these sanctions on or they seize assets. And countries are saying, you know what, I don't want that to happen to us because there might be something that we disagree with the U.S. on, not because we want to go to war with them, but because we're trying to do what's best for our country. So super interesting landscape. And, and I think it's, it's uh, you know, the bull industry is not for everyone. I mean, it's not as volatile as Bitcoin and crypto, but it is, I think it's a way to, to, to preserve your wealth, ensure against, you know, financial disasters. And it, it, you can't print it, you can't recreate it. It's getting harder and harder to find and it's store of value. And, and I think it, it you know, it, it should be considered for everyone's portfolio. Love that. Jonathan, this is, this is amazing, man. I think I think your your thorough understanding of the not just the gold industry but macro in general is, is very helpful to paint a holistic picture. So thank you for walking through that. In the interest of time, we're coming towards the end of our show here, where we usually ask two questions, maybe, maybe depending about how we how the answers come out. So shifting gears here, there's a 20 year old Jonathan somewhere. I know your child, one of your child just became that just went just left home, and and in that similar age group. What's one insight that you can share with that that's going to dramatically, for good, change their life's direction? Yeah, I, I think I've always been focused on education and knowledge, but I think looking at that thing, at, at that aspect sooner, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't start reading a lot until I was in university, you know, starting to read different books as early as possible. I, w- I would tell my younger self, finding your passion. I mean, I was lucky that book Reminiscence of Stock Operator changed my life. So I love what I do. It's not work to me. It's fun. I love working with you know the, the people that I work with and, and learning about new sectors and investing in new sectors. But it would just be to start as early as you can. And then when when I make money in, in the metals and mining industry, about taking that money out and having diversification and yeah. really focusing on that, creating a larger revenue stream of passive you know dividend interest income as, as early as possible. And then that compound interest you know, dividend reinvestment program, sooner the better. And starting out where you have a job at a university, you're not making very much money after you paid all in taxes and rent, but even putting away, you know, $500 a month or a hundred or a thousand, whatever you can as quickly as possible. And it comes out of your account every month into an account that you do not touch. You can't get access to it yeah. because then over 10 years, it starts to become a meaningful amount of money. And then when you get over, you get to a different phase of earning income and, and investable assets, it just it just grows and it grows and it's consistent. So it would just be to start doing those things way earlier. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Jonathan. This is this is actually great advice because it, even if you don't want to turn into a gold investor, it's a good investment advice, a good life advice, right? And of course, everyone would want to say that I don't want to change anything about my life because I won't be the person who I am if I change anything about my life. But that's one thing that I would say is that education is never too early to be educated. And I think Jonathan, good. I would also, you know, Tony Robbins has a saying, you know, great things happen when you get outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. I would encourage people to take, you know, some 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 risk and 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 pursue their passion. And you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur and and so for for Dakota, you know, the shareholder, our stakeholders are number one. And you do right by them and you typically will do really well and build a real business when you focus yeah. on those two things. And some people just aren't capable of taking risk. And yeah. but just even even doing something, you know, whether it's switching a job from a company that you're not happy with, again, great things happen when people get outside of their comfort zone. And people look at failure as, oh my God, I failed. No, you've, you've learned something, you've grown, and you're one step closer to a great idea or a great situation with a company or to get that investor or to, or to find the, the partner in life that you want. Correct. No, well said, Jonathan. Jonathan, next question. It's a little bit more uh, non-traditional question, which is going to be more around as you reflect on your journey, people around you, as reflect on the macro self. Where do you feel humanity is, and where should it migrate towards in the next few decades? Pick a timeline, whatever you're comfortable. But where where is the gap, and how how can we fill it? 
So I do, I do feel that humanity is at an inflection point. I think I'll talk about two aspects of that. I think it's at an inflection point from the standpoint of this, this, you know, clean, green energy transition and, and, and a buy into that, but a lack of understanding for how much capital it's going to take, yeah. how challenging it is to, 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 to mine all these metals. And the other aspect of this, I think we're at an inflection point because there's a lot of racism. There's a lot of tensions in different parts of the world, a lot of different ideologies. Uh, and there's a lot of regions that are kind of hot button, hot, you know, very unsafe that have the ability to spread, you know, again, I, I don't want to get political, but, you know, with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and, you know, what's going on there and, and its ability to be a powder keg for the entire region. And then you look at if, 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 if China does want to go after Taiwan and, and what, you know, the implications there. So it's, it's, it's really scary. You know, so we all inhabit and share the same planet. And, you know, so to, to those two areas, I think are, there's so much opportunity, but yet there's so much risk. And I think that, that the stuff that we can control on the, on the providing the, the, the metals for the future electrification of this world and decarbonization, I'm really proud and, and, and think that that's, that's a real opportunity. And I yeah. think that the resistance you get there, you, you can add educate people. Some people are still got this view about mining. Okay, well, the, don't don't have a cell phone, don't have a laptop, and don't have a, don't have a you know electric vehicle. And if you can commit to those things, then you know have your opinion. But if you want those things, then educate yourself and um, yeah. evolve. And for the you know for what's happening with, with these conflicts and these 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 areas, you know what's happening with you know it, it's 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 sad that it's that it's 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 we you know we've gone almost back in time. And, you know, people are people. They, they want their families to be safe and educated and protected. Yeah. And they, 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 and all these cultural values and look at all, all the protesting that's going on in Canada and the US. I mean, it's really bad. And I mean, have your, have your protests. But, anyways, I, I could go on and, and yeah, it's quite, it's just, those, it's great. there's opportunity on a, on a lot of it. At the central theme of it is, is education. And don't make someone yeah. wrong for who they are, but also don't push your agenda. I mean, you know, so again, it, it, it's a very hot button political issue. And I, and I, my kids are actually, I think far beyond me in terms of understanding all the different pronouns. And yeah. That. But um, no, I, I, I think those two issues and, and areas are going to be, you know, central themes for, you know, the world going forward and its ability to, you know, get along and work through differences peacefully, you know, and it's, it's, I think that represents a huge opportunity. But one that's that's that has created a lot of uncertainty and, and people going back to, you know, not wanting to travel or or you know speak yeah. out in fear of backlash being reprimanded. So yeah, I mean I, I I know that's a mouthful and I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for, but there was no there was no answer that I was looking for. I think it just when I I love to hear people's perspective. I think part of that is that the more we hear about these issues, uh, the more awareness to them and the more awareness, more curiosity. Because unfortunately, yeah. the narrative that we're hearing in news or reading in news or wherever, however you consume your, your current news, it's very biased. Right? Depending upon which side you are and who's writing yeah. that article, very few sources that are objective, very few. Even they are not objective, as objective as I would like them to be. So you have to be very careful about the co- consumption of who you're consuming. Yeah. That's where yeah. I like to ask that question for my podcast. And I, I know I don't give any time for anyone to prepare. Really ask these questions on the spot because yeah. I think it's a lot of that is really it's at the top of your head and it's it's really burning for you, which is more important for me to understand. So that hopefully people are asking whatever you're saying. Most of us are asking that question. Yeah, we may not be articulating it, but we're asking. Yeah, and my kids ask my my wife and I all the time. You know, Dad. You know, there was a kid who was who was you know racist towards another kid, and I. It's a big hot button issue for me, just given my yeah. background and, and, you know, and again, I, I, I'm, we've told our kids to, to speak up and, 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 right. you know, defend your friends and, and, you know, not, you know, violently, but if somebody puts their hands on you, then you have the right to defend yourself and it's, and then there's politics involved and who the kid's parents are and oh, definitely one has a plan out and the, and the kid who didn't do anything or say anything is, is the one that's getting in trouble and they kind of twist the narrative. Yeah. You know, that's stuff that I have a really hard time with because the kids get confused. And, correct, correct. You know, well, so it's, it's, it's true. And thank you for sharing that because I think it, we're unfortunately creating 
the powers beyond us are trying to create a divisive world. And that's fine. That's their agenda. And that's okay. I'm not going to say yes or no or good or bad. But unless we feel we push back, their agenda is going to get pushed onto us. It is yeah. really more, the, the more you look at world through curiosity, and I love yeah, the way you talk about it's education. Right? And we're not, I'm assuming you're not talking about college education. You're not talking about school education. You're talking about education in real life. What works? Yeah. yeah. The school education, yeah. the calculus and everything is good, but that's not going to help you becoming and becoming a big developer understanding of the world. Yeah. So I, we, we, we hired someone recently and, and came highly recommended and they're very, very smart. And I said, so school smart or street smart? Yeah. Very important. Because there's someone who, for a situation maybe where there's there, there's a contentious issue or where there's conflict involved, conflict resolution, you know, some kids who are who are just academic or book smart will be ill-equipped to handle a contentious yeah. situation where maybe that's more of a somewhat a street smart kid, maybe struggling in school but thrives in that situation. Right. And so we're trying to have this balance of look, books are important, school's important, but also you've got to get real world experience. You know, if you have, if you show up late to a job, you might get a pass. Show blade again, you're fired. You're done because there's 20 other kids that want that job. Correct. And though it doesn't matter who I am or who your mother is or who your uncle, it doesn't matter. You have a job to do. Show up, work really hard. Don't complain and don't expect to get promoted on your first day. Yeah. Oh my God, man. Yeah. So the new world that's coming. All right. I've been here for two hours. What do you mean I can't get promoted? No, that's good. Jonathan, this is this is awesome, man. Dude, if somebody wants to learn about you, about, the, about Dakota Gold, what can they do? Where can they learn? How can they get in touch? Look, my I'm I'm. You know, my, all my contact information is on our website. You know, my email address is jodd at dakotagoldcorp.com. And my, my contact information is there. I highly encourage if people are, are curious or want to explore more about the mining industry, work through any misconceptions they have or curiosity. You know, I, I think anyone who works in the gold industry has become a, a de facto ambassador for the, you know, for the industry. So and I'm really passionate about this stuff, so I'm I'm willing to you know to, to spend a lot of time on this because it really is about educating you know the the next generation of of mining investor because without that it's going to be tough for the world to get to this you know decarbonization carbon neutral you know place you know and and you know retail investor family offices will you know will play a huge role in that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Again, appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you. Thanks very much. Great to be on here. Hold on one second, Jonathan. Where am I? If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below.